Yo, what is up, guys? This is the Tony and Dakota podcast. Appreciate you guys watching. We actually had a special request from somebody uh, to talk about this topic that we're going to talk about today. What are we going to be talking about? Uh, we're going to be talking about the real estate market. It's like one of the hottest things to answer. It seems like every single YouTuber uh, thumbnail is the market's going to crash. Everything's going to crash. This is the end. Get ready. Run for the hills. Sell everything. <laughs> yeah, so somebody uh, asked, they're like, dude, do you think the market's going to crash? And uh, the short answer is yes. But the real question is, when is it going to crash? And everybody seems to think that it's going to happen, like, uh, now, I guess. I don't even know when everybody thinks it's going to happen. They just keep saying that. They're like, oh, I'm waiting to uh, invest in real estate until the market crashes. Um, what do you think about that? Well, uh, I wrote like a little bit of an article on this and then I think like it ended up getting like a 50% click rate, which is crazy. Uh, but I, I always go back to 2008 and how, uh, so many banks stopped giving builders money and there were so many general contractors and house builders that went out of business that around 2008, that entire decade of 10 years, we had built like 27 million homes. And in the last 10 years, we've built five, six, seven million homes. So there's this huge demand that wasn't being filled. And when you have that much of a supply gap between how many people want to buy a house and how many houses are actually available, that's what we started to see in like 2019, 2020, even through COVID. People were terrified of this virus and there were still people buying houses without even seeing them, marking up offers higher than, I mean, we can see it right now with like, I'm trying to buy a color, a toner printer, a color printer, and there's not enough printers. So people are paying like $200 more for a printer than the actual price of the printer right now because there's a shortage. And I think that happens sometimes in markets. And so I don't see the demand, even with like the mortgage foreclosures that are coming, even though some people have said that they're worse than 2008, uh, I don't see that creating enough demand to cover the all the folks who want a single family home right now. Can, can you send me that uh, um, chart that you have? Mm -hmm. Send it to me on Facebook. I'll pull it up here real quick so we can show the people like. Oh yeah, I can edit it in later too. Okay, cool, yeah. So we'll, we'll throw up the uh, the chart that shows you guys like, uh, um, oh, actually he's just got it right well, here. Well, yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> they won't be able to see that from here. Um, but basically it's just a chart that shows you exactly what he was just talking about is how many homes have been built. And you know, it's a little bit harder to you know conceptualize whenever we're just throwing out the numbers, but when you actually see it on a graph, it does make a, a huge difference. So um, yeah. A lot of people uh, have just been, you know, kind of saying that Tony and I, they're like, dude, you guys got in at the right time. You guys got really lucky, which is partly true. There's no question to that. So uh, in the beginning, when we first started, people thought we were crazy because we would buy a property and then we would, you know, rehab it or maybe not. And then we would pull out all of our money against that property which makes our cash flow a little bit less, but we're able to continue to do that. Um, and we did that time after time and everybody's like, whoa, like you guys need to slow down. You're gonna get over leveraged and maybe you shouldn't use that much debt. And um, really thought that like, they didn't say it, but they thought we were kind of crazy and a little bit like stupid. Dumb. 
yeah. like just dumb. It's like it's like the opposite of the Dave Ramsey snowball. You know, he's like, pay down the one that's <laughs> like fifty bucks, and then use that success to pay down the next one. And we were like, okay. Let's take out this loan, and when it starts to generate cash flow, that'll make our numbers look better. Then we can borrow more money. And then after we borrow more money, let's borrow more money. So we created this debt snowball and like expanded as quickly as possible. It allowed us to grow a lot faster, borrowing as much money as we did. Yeah, so uh, when we first started doing that three and a half years ago, people thought we were really crazy. Well, some people did. A lot of people did. I would say 90%. Um, even some real estate investors were kind of like, whoa, you guys are like kind of going real quick. Maybe you should slow down. Maybe we should have. But now that, you know, this crash or whatever that everybody's talking about um, is potentially coming or whatever, we look at it like, man, we see it the exact opposite. So the reason that I don't think a crash is coming in the next three to five years is because the massive amount of money that they printed. I, I'm sure you guys have heard me talk about it a little bit, but inflation is real and it was like ridiculous. Um, I can't remember the exact like statistics or anything like that, but I think it was like uh, 30% of the money that was created in 2020 is like the entirety of the US dollar since we created it. That's how much was printed uh, back in 2020. So that is crazy. So that debt actually kind of protected us against inflation and then also owning the assets because we still owe the same amount and our property values like didn't you know necessarily go up well they did go up but in my mind it was more inflation which means the dollar's worth less which means that you see it going for a higher price it doesn't necessarily mean the value is increased but the dollar is now devalued which means uh, the property goes up in value so that's I think why we saw the spike and why we're going to continue to see a spike because a property for a hundred thousand dollars and then you know you print up a bunch of money. Now everybody's got everybody's got a hundred thousand dollars, which actually kind of seems like everybody's got a bunch of money right now. But everybody's got a hundred thousand dollars, so that means more people can buy that, and it actually is less to them because now they got so much more money. So I think that's why the demand has uh, really went up, and why we're not going to get below where we're at now. Well, um, I I think that the demand is going down. But I think that the and the value of property is going down, but the value of money is going down so much further that the dollar amount that the property is being sold for is going to level out like the we're not going to see the value of properties drop because inflation hit. And even if the real estate market only goes up by three percent, inflation's at five point three or even if uh, the value of real estate just hit zero, let's say it goes nowhere for like the next five years, the prices are gonna go up 25, 30%. And so uh, even with these foreclosures happening, the banks are still in an equitable position. It's not like the market tanked and the uh, mortgage companies aren't able to get out from underneath of their debt because they own the property for say 80% of what it's worth because these people bought it three years ago and the prices went up so much that they're still in an equitable position. Also, Dakota and I have noticed that a lot of banks are like working with people. Um, they're moving a lot of their debt to the back end of their loan and the people don't realize they're going to get hit with this big balloon at the end of their loan. They're going to have to come up with like 10, 15 grand 
and they're raising interest rates a little bit, like incrementally to kind of punish these people for getting behind and for working with the banks. But banksters are gangsters. They can do whatever they want. They can tell the folks who are behind on their loans, like, hey, we're going to foreclose on you anyways. You missed too many payments. We don't care what you want. You're not going to keep your house. Or they can just move all the debt to the back end of the loan, charge them a higher interest rate, plus points, plus fees, all kinds of stuff. Like we've seen these, these bank loans go up fifteen, twenty thousand dollars when these people really only owed like eight. And that was just to get the property paid off so that we could buy it, so that we could end up flipping the house. So um I don't I don't know, with with the foreclosures being more than two thousand eight from what I've seen, I feel like folks like Dakota and I are helping flatten out the curve because we're able to get to people who aren't going to be able to keep their properties and we're helping them figure them out. Like we bought six so far, we might buy a seventh one soon. And uh, there are investors just like us because of the Freedom of Information Act. We have access to tax information and can find out who's going through pre-foreclosure, target those people, get in front of those people and help those people get out of the situation that they're in so they don't lose their houses. Um, At the same time, though, I'm like, man, kind of creates a situation where uh, people who hold on to physical assets that are like us who are leveraging debt and trying to be as smart as possible are going to end up rich. And folks who uh, are the normal average everyday people when they get their money and uh, they go buy like, uh, I don't know, the the, iPhone, yeah, a brand new iPhone iPhone or screen TV, like the car that they always wanted, like their dream car, or, you know, they go buy an additional house, like a lake house, because interest rates are low right now. And they heard that that would be a good idea. And they create more liabilities for themselves. I think the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. And that's just a situation that has been created because of printing so much money. And because folks like us hold on to physical assets, we're going to end up being exponentially richer than the average person while they're going to see all of their normal everyday expenses go up 5% a year for like the next five years. Right. So basically, we're going to continue to see that too. You know, our expenses are going to increase, but also our net worth is going to increase and the rent is going to increase. Basically, everything is going to go up with us because we own assets. Um, So I mean, it still affects the rich, but it actually probably helps some more because the assets are going up faster than what the expenses are. Um, so, yeah. And then one other thing that you said, uh, you said the demand is uh, like you don't think the demand is there, um, which I agree with. It's not there like it was, mm-hmm. but I still think like we went from like, you know, here, probably like, you know, 2018 to 2019. Then we went to here in 2020. And then now I feel like we're like here. Yeah. Like we're still like pretty, pretty up compared to what we were it has went down a little bit but it's still like it's still crazy yeah, i was talking to von Lurie at uh at closing we were selling one of our properties and she's like yeah like has business been good and i was kind of like uh yeah she's like i just noticed that like houses aren't really getting like 14 offers anymore they're only getting like three and i, was like, I thought she said six <laughs> but yeah it might have been three i was like well that's i mean that's accurate i mean that's kind of accurate yeah. right now it does feel like it's slowed down a little bit um, I mean, maybe it'll be in a, we'll be in a situation soon where it'll take us like a whole month to sell a house. Yeah. But uh, I remember know. we would just we just sold one and a guy uh, a, it was uh, well never mind I won't even tell you about the <laughs> ethnicity but anyway the guy uh, 
the guy was like, yeah, well, I want to take back my offer and uh, change it because it's been on the market for a while. I'm like, it's been three days. <laughs> oh, it might have been, been five. No, it was three. <laughs> it was literally three. We posted on Friday, and this was on Monday. So I was like, dude, it's been three days. Apparently, that's a long time in this market. And if you need additional uh, – uh, something that kind of confirms – our viewpoint, I think, is uh, these hedge funds with massive amounts of money. Maybe, uh, you know, Blackstone has like $600 billion under management. They're buying properties. Open Door is buying properties. There are companies and hedge funds right now that are buying properties for more than flippers, wholesalers, uh, individuals who are who have their own private mom and pop landlording businesses, hedge funds are buying them for more than those people would be willing to pay, because they see just how good of a hedge a physical asset is to inflation. Now they're not doing it in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They are buying houses in Indianapolis, though. They are buying houses in Las Vegas because everybody's moving over from California. Uh, they're buying houses in Colorado right now, uh, in Arizona. Uh, I think like one of the Carolinas, I can never remember if it's North or South Carolina, but they're buying up these houses for more than normal people would pay. And they're renting them out. They're not buying like farmland or big commercial. They're making small purchases, but they're making a whole bunch of small purchases, buying three bed, two baths, the typical single family American home. Uh, if you guys want confirmation of that, just go on Google hedge funds, buying up single family homes. There's article after article that's like, the hedge funds are taking away your properties. The corporations are taking away your properties, you know? And I think, uh, so for us, we look at stuff like that and it's just confirmation that we're doing the right thing while the average American is thinking, uh, is the market going to go up or is the market going to go down? Hedge funds are like, dude, let's buy up as, mo as many single family homes as we possibly can right now. Yeah. And then, you know, another thing is, like we do have to say that, you know, we've only been in real estate for three and a half years. So it's not like we have, you know, all this knowledge or anything like that. And we haven't seen the cycles, which everybody kind of, you know, explains to us, um, which we agree with, obviously. Um, you know, we haven't been around since 08, but that's all anybody talks about is 08. Like, like everybody says that it's been going to crash since basically 08. Like they're like, oh, 08 going to happen again. We've been saying that since 08. And so now I feel like people keep using that as an excuse to uh, not get into real estate investing. It's just like, oh, I'm just waiting for the crash. I'm waiting for this. It's like, guys, if you're waiting for it, then you're never going to get in anyway. Yeah, it's, a, it's been a whole 13 years, you know. Maybe we should just hold on for another 13 right. before we get in. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that, uh, like, it has to happen a certain amount of time. Like, I feel like people's only reasoning for why it's going to crash here soon from what I've heard, is literally only that it hasn't happened in a while. That's literally the only reason. There's like no data. Well, other than the foreclosure thing that we talked about, there's no data that supports any kind of uh, crash coming in the near future. It's most people are just like, well, it's got to happen here soon because uh, 08 happened and we need another cycle. So, Well, another, another reason why, too, if you look at the reasons why real estate is going to stay up, uh, properties that are already created right now uh, are in the supply chain. So we have a supply of properties. Builders are trying to build houses, but uh, you saw in May of 2021, 
lumber skyrocket as a residual effect of uh, limiting trading with other countries and limiting our uh, import of lumber. So I'll put up that uh, chart too. It's like you could build two and a half houses, whereas previously, that, that was just the price of lumber. Previously, you could build 10 and a half. Then you could build two and a half with the same amount of lumber. So lumber costs were so crazy. Material costs are, went up and they kind of stayed up, part, partly due to inflation, partly due to trading and our access to semi-trucks and who's driving and who's working in the factories. Like a lot of people quit making doors, quit making windows, quit making garage doors because, you know, COVID limited those people's ability to work. And because building materials are still expensive, you don't see this huge rush of builders just building and building and building. You see people building, but it doesn't seem like it's this extreme um, amount of properties being built. It's it's kind of just folks who are willing to pay a little bit more for the perfect house that they absolutely want. It seems like folks are mainly just trying to get a property immediately rather than waiting a year for a house to be built right now. So um, another thing that is going to continue to uh, keep demand up is that money costs are low. Like the Fed voted and they know that it's bad for the economy when you raise the interest rates. So interest rates have been historically low and they're going to say stay low-ish. Uh, we've seen them come up a little bit and down a little bit and up a little bit, but like money costs are going to stay low for like at least the next five years. I think the Fed said five or 10 years, they vote every so often. And uh, that's going to encourage people to buy versus rent because it'd be about the same price for them to do either. And everybody's got money right now. I mean, it seems like like anybody who had money has more money from from what what I've seen anyway. There's like, I don't know. I feel like everybody's just like, yep. Or maybe we just got more credible and everybody's okay with lending to us now. But I'm just like, man, I feel like uh, there's there's more money now than there ever has been. Well, obviously, they just printed up all of it. So there's more money than there's ever has been. So everybody's got more money to lend out too, which is pretty nice for us um, as long as you we continue to use it for the right things. Um, but yeah, interest rates are ridiculous. Um, I refinanced my house actually um, at 2.25, which is just nuts. I mean, 2.25 on a property is uh is crazy i wish we could get that on some investment properties we would be we'd be sitting really good well i think something that's interesting here too so in the midwest a lot of investors kind of like laugh at the midwest because of how low our prices are and fort wayne's one of the lowest priced cities but if you give someone a $1,200 stimulus and they have four kids and they get $1,200 for each one of those kids too they all of a sudden have a down payment uh, i think that uh, demand went up in the Midwest more than it did anywhere else because it cr artificially created so many buyers. Oh yeah, and uh, I've seen our prices double in like the rough part of town over the last three years. Even though historically there's little to no appreciation uh, here in the Midwest, I think that we got the biggest benefit by the printing of money and the hand and the handouts and that sort of thing. Cause you give somebody in California $1,200 and they're like, Oh cool. I can make a third of my rent payment. Right. You give somebody $1,200 here in the Midwest and they're, yeah, <laughs> they're like, Oh man, I could just not pay my landlord, have enough money to go buy my own house. Yeah. 
So what do you think, uh, what do you think is like, if you had to pick one, was it inflation or demand that made those, uh, like the houses in the rough parts of town go up by double if you had to pick one? Yeah, I think, well, I, I think it's inflation, but, uh, more was like the the amount of money that was going out to people um just be like receiving inheritance or something like that you know it's like all of a sudden there's this massive handout it's like wow now i have a down payment and uh seems like it seems man it seems like demand is really high too i know that's why i was like man yeah. i don't know which one it would be there's i think that there's a lot of people to like there's more people every year we haven't hit you know apparently if you if you look at theories we might hit our population height and then uh there's a theory out there by some of the smartest people in the world that eventually we're going to hit this maximum number of people in like 2050 and the number of people who are being born and the number number of people that are dying is kind of going to even out so we might not have the same population problem but there's more and more people being born every day and a lot of people our age like I just turned 30 when you get close to 33 years old uh, we heard this from one of our bankers you're either buying your first property or you're buying your second property you know you're forever home you're either buying a starter home or you're forever home and it seems like it's kind of that's kind of happening and it seems like I noticed a lot of folks like I was from a small town growing up called a villa just like I don't know 9,000 people or something or 5,000 people Dakota was from Kendallville it's like 17,000 people or something 12,000 I can't remember <laughs> I think it's like but, close to 10 but in all of the folks around these smaller towns who are you know the millennial generation decided to move to Fort Wayne because it's the nearest big city. So, man, that's a hard one. Demand, inflation. I mean, they both played a part. They both played a big role. Yeah, because I think about, like, the rougher sides of town, too, and then how many uh, people that bought there are investors. I mean, like, I would say that 60% are investors at least, like, over half at least a little bit over half. So then I'm like, man, like why did prices go up so much um, in the last couple of years? And yeah, it's hard to say if it's demand or inflation. It's like, it's obviously both, but which one played a bigger role? And so, yeah, I think that everybody is uh, getting it mixed up though, where they only think it's demand. Um, when I just think inflation happened, which is why I think that the market crashing isn't as plausible because like they're not going to go below where they're at now because we just have so much more money. Like, so yeah. Um, but I, I do think it is uh, funny whenever people talk about us coming in at the right time. So that's kind of what I want to explain to you guys is that for us as investors, it does not matter on the timing. I was actually watching uh, Bradley and then Ryan Pineda. And it was like, <laughs> it was funny. I was watching it with Diana and, um, like, he's just asking all these questions. He's like, yeah, but, like, how do you find it? Like, you know, we're in Vegas, and then they're making offers, and they're going so much higher. So, like, how do you uh, even get the property? It just doesn't make any sense to me. He's like, dude, like, Ryan's like, that person that has it listed who's getting multiple offers, that's not our client. It's like, cool. Like, you go do that. But, like, that's not who we're going after. Um, and so, like, 
Brad just like literally didn't get it. And I was like, man, it's like crazy to me how many people don't understand. He's like, yeah, but you know, you just got in, you got to get in at the right time and stuff like that. And I'm waiting for this. And it's like, guys, it does not matter because we're in and then we're out three months later on our flips. So that means that like if the values fall and then now that property is only worth a hundred thousand, guess what? Now we're buying it for 40,000. We're putting 20 into it and then we're selling it for the hundred that it just dropped from 150 to. So if it went from 150 to 100, now we're buying it for 40, we're putting 20 into it, we're still selling it for 100. For us, it does not change us being able to make money on that property or not. It just means that we offer a different amount based on where it's at. The only time that we are going to have an issue is whenever we bought that property, we're in the middle of it and then the prices drop. And then we're probably either gonna net out or maybe lose a little bit. But then when we go to buy the the next ones, then we're gonna make up for it. Yeah, and we're, we're kind of lucky too in that you know, even if the prices drop overnight, we're in a market where we can usually refinance and then rent the property out. So we still have multiple exit strategies. If we can't uh, refinance out and rent the property out, we'll refinance out and then sell or finance it to somebody for it to be their fixer upper home. So I think we're a little bit more fortunate than Ryan, where like if things dropped in two months, he might right. be pretty screwed. Yeah. Um, but now he's got multiple streams of income, so he right. can always turn it into content and <laughs> yeah. make his money back. But it's also like uh, he's in obviously a higher price market. So like if you want to talk about that too, I mean the difference in Midwest pricing and Las Vegas pricing. Yeah, we I mean our average home that the typical person is going to come in here and buy is about one hundred and fifty thousand. The typical properties that we're usually buying, like I think our average rental um, per door is like 45000 after repairs a lot of times. Our prices have started to go up a little bit. I felt it creep a little bit. We might be closer to like fifty k a door or something, but that's so low compared to the rent that we're able to get. Um, and now it seems like rents are creeping toward the $1,000 mark no matter where you live, even in the rougher parts of town. So it's like... That's the 2% rule. You know, we've got a unique market here where we're always going to cash flow. And if we can't cash flow, we're going to Airbnb. We just started doing that. So uh, I think that if you look at some of the mentors like Gary Vee, I I remember Gary Vee like jumping on this one guy when he was on stage because the guy's like, I just want passive income. That way I can sit back on like a beach and just enjoy myself. And Gary was like, there is no passive income. Passive income's a lie. There are basically two things you can do for passive income. And then like he named one other thing and he was like, real estate, but you have to hope that it goes up. And I just think that's because Gary V grew up in New York where inflation happens and the market looks like this all the time. We invest in a market that's a lot different than that where Things don't go up and down all the time. They kind of like slowly go up and then slowly go down. There's a lot of consistency to it. And the rents go up. And then when the market crashes, they stay there. Yeah. So uh, I think that the idea of passive income is still something that really it's like residual income that you can work less hard for. Maybe nothing truly is passive income. Like you should, you should still monitor what the heck's going on in your business. Right. You still need to look at KPIs and look at the spreadsheets and that sort of thing. Dakota's better at that than I am. But you know, it, there are things in life where you can start them and then they provide residual income to you, and then you can spend less hours doing them 
and then you can even hire people so that you can spend even less time doing them. That's definitely what Ryan's done in his businesses is hire people to replace himself who understand his numbers and his key performance indicators. And then he's been able to just spend 35 hours a week making YouTubes and TikToks. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, so for the like for the rentals and everything like that's that is our backup strategy if a flip doesn't go well honestly we would hate to do that but if the economy ever does crash it is what it is and the reason that it doesn't matter what the values are is uh because if we you know own the property for a hundred thousand let's say that we thought we were going to flip it for 150. now that property is worth a hundred thousand dollars um, we're going to pull a mortgage against it. And if it's only worth a hundred and we got a hundred into it, then what we're going to do is we're going to get 75,000. We'll get a private money lender for the other 25, or we'll put it, put it in of our own money from the company. And then at that point, it's going to cash flow, which means we're going to make money every month. That way we can actually like hold it until we can continue to get the, um, appreciation from it at that point. So it's not really that like risky, um, or scary especially in the Midwest, because like Tony said, our average rental price that we bought is $50,000. Um, it's probably a little bit less than that, but let's just say on for 50, our average rent is seven thirteen. Um, so if the probably, property, probably up from that now too. Yeah, it probably is up. So that was, yeah, that's what it was before. So it's gotta be at least minimum of 800, it might be 850. But, uh, if, if that's like the numbers, I mean, let's just say the market does crash. Okay. It doesn't matter. First of all, let's say we could even use bigger numbers. Let's say the properties that we bought were $200,000. As long as it's cash flow and it really doesn't matter what the value is, that property could be worth 500,000 or it could be worth $50,000. For us, we don't really care. We look at how much it's actually cash flowing. But for our situation, let's say it does go down 50%, which is just unheard of. Now the property's worth 25,000, which still changes nothing because it's still rented out for $800 a month and we are still cash flowing. We already got the money from it because we refinance right away. So we've already got the money from it from the bank. The only time that we could really run into an issue is if the bank said all your loans are due, which I don't know, everybody talks about that. That is the only situation that, uh, that I think that we could ever get hurt. Uh, no, I thought of another one. I mean, right at the beginning of COVID, there were some of our tenants that were messaging things on Facebook like, oh, does this mean that we still have to pay? Like how some people were not making their payments. If all of our tenants decided that they didn't like something that we posted on social media or like all decided that they were going to uh, go on strike at the same time, we would be screwed. <laughs> That's the only thing that I could think of is if all of the sudden, all of the residual income that we've built up over the course of the last three and a half years just completely stopped came to a grinding halt and we were bringing in zero a month. Um, even then, there's still a chance that we wouldn't fail though because of our flips, because of other things that we've got going on and other forms of income. And I'm sure we would figure it out and be sticky and you know get through it. But uh, that was the only time that I was like, man, what what does happen? You know, yeah, that everybody was... stops paying at exactly the same time. Right. I would say that was funny because like you know everybody throws out those hypotheticals. They're like, well, what if? Nobody pays rent. I'm like, yeah, all 35 of our tenants are going to stop paying rent at the same time. Like, how likely is that to happen? And then COVID happened, and we're like, oh, crap. That's an actual possibility Yeah, I was now. like, <laughs> how is this even possible that all of our tenants might not pay rent? And, uh, yeah, it was a little scary. But 
I mean, the odds of these things happening, I think, are not very likely. And so I guess what we do is we take educated risks. Um, and to some people, they look like huge risks. And to us, it, it feels, in my opinion, pretty small. I mean, something something like unfortunate is going to happen every month when you have 35 properties. Like something uh, is going to happen when you have, uh, well, including you and I, it's like 13 employees. Yeah. Something's going to happen once a week, once a month that it's like, wow, this is a problem and an opportunity. Like we have to figure out what to do. Um, and as long as you pay attention to those things and handle them right away, I don't think that they end up compounding and being like blowing up your entire business. Uh, but that's why sometimes we get a little bit nervous when we go on these week long trips or like four day trips, because it's so nice to stay on top of absolutely everything and be that, you know, conscientious about and, and stable and like moving forward and making sure that things are taken care of. But the things that people project, uh, from like doom and gloom and scarcity mindset and that sort of thing, uh, I think it's just a reflection on themselves. Like, uh, I, I was going to talk about this in another podcast where I just heard this quote and I can't remember who I heard it from. It's like entrepreneurship is just personal development, uh, in disguise, so really, I think when a lot of folks talk about how scary it would be to get into what Dakota and I are doing, it's like, well, I think that that it's it's uh, reasonable to be scared. Uh, however, I think that it would be a lot less uh, stressful than you're thinking that it would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that. It's scary making the decision to finally do it, but then once you're in the middle of it, it's really not that scary. I mean, it's it's if you guys have ever jumped out of a plane, you know, um, you know when you're going up there, you're flying up in that real sketchy airplane that feels like it's about to fall at any second, and then you get it to the door, you get real scared, then you jump, and it's like not that scary anymore. It's just like all right, like I already did it. the the, the decision uh, or the fear actually really sets before you even make the decision. Once you make the decision, it's, it's honestly a lot easier. And, uh, yeah, we've gotten to the point where we make decisions really quickly. Um, and honestly, even if you mess up in that decision, like we've lost money on some flips before and we messed up in that situation on that decision that we made. But at the end of the day, like it didn't even hurt us that bad because we made the decision and then we tried to make it as quickly as possible. And then we made so many other good decisions that the one bad decision that we make really doesn't affect anything that much. So, um, yeah, I just try to hurry up and make decisions really quickly and then do the best that I can with the scenario that I'm given in that timing. And uh, I remember Ed uh, Milet talking about basically saying that you know, I can't remember the exact quote. But basically, synopsis is something like, uh, you know, the wrong decision executed, like, quickly or, like, you know, perfectly um, is going to be better than the perfect decision um, that's, you know, not executed or takes forever to execute or, like, you have to think about it and then you're planning around it or it's never even executed. So, basically, the point is just to hurry up, make a decision, and then execute whatever your decision is, whether it's the right or wrong decision, just execute it to the best of your abilities. And you have to course correct, then sure, course correct. But at the end of the day, just make the decision. So if you guys are thinking about getting into real estate, flipping uh, properties, uh, rentals or anything, we definitely suggest it. It's, it's changed our lives. 
um, in multiple different ways. Like it's changed uh, our relationships with different people just because it does, like Tony said uh, from the quote that he heard, it's going to get you more into self-help. It makes you want to become a better person, help more people. We've helped more people um, by getting into real estate than we probably would have without being in real estate. Um, so there's multiple different reasons. So uh, yeah, if you guys are thinking about getting in, Tony and I are creating a course. It's literally going to give away everything that we know um, about real estate and how we've built up what we've built up now. So we've, we're up to 30 something, 38 doors, I think. Um, we're bringing in over $30,000. I think it's like $34,000 a month in rent. Um, and we did this all in three and a half years with like none of our own money, essentially. Um, we refinanced it all out and we did it all, uh, without, ha without having to use any of our own money, like in the deals, um, which is pretty, uh, pretty cool. So if you guys want to do that, then let us know. Yeah. Check out, uh, we'll probably put a link, uh, in the description. This might go up on YouTube. So it'd be in the description, be tiny.cc slash LTD lip course, all lowercase LTD. Yep. When's that coming out? Uh, November 26th, Yep. Black Friday. Yep. So, yeah, check that out, guys. It's going to be under $1,000 a month. We might have a promo for Black a Friday. A month? Two months. <laughs> no, you said, <laughs> you said it's going to be under $1,000 a month. Oh. $1,000 oh, $1, altogether. We're not charging you $1,000 a month for the it's course. It's going to be under $1,000 <laughs> for every two months. <laughs> no, I'm just so used to saying monthly on everything, apparently. Uh, so it's going to be under $1,000. A one-time payment. Yeah, one-time payment of under 1000 And it's going to give away everything that we know about how we built up as many properties as we have. Um, how we flip, wholesale, um, all of that stuff. So the first one's probably going to be specifically on flipping and wholesaling just because it's easier, and then we might have one for rentals later, um, or we might just add to it, but we'll let you guys know. And uh, we appreciate you guys watching. Stay tuned for the next one. Whoop, whoop. Peace out.